Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paranormal History Academy, the only academy where we don't assign homework. We don't assign homework, but we do encourage research. Yes, what kind of self-loving professors like us would not want our students to research things? Speaking of, I am your resident historian, Professor Travis. And I am your paranormal researcher, Professor Brandon. Today, we have a really fun episode for you guys especially the fact that it's kind of close to me and several members of our research team here. We're actually going over Hillview Manor in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I was born and raised here in Newcastle, right over in Union Township. So it was kind of a stone's throw over to Shenango where the manor was placed. And we always heard about it in high school. So it's kind of near and dear to me. So we have tons of history here, tons of really fun stuff to go over and all the background to the stuff, as well as many of firsthand experiences of paranormal occurrences happening here. Isn't that right, Brandon? Yes. And I'm honestly really excited to tell you guys about all the different entities that are here as well. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's just chock full of information. I want to start by giving a shout out to Carrie Trico, the owner of Trico Enterprises, the owner of Hillview Manor now, as a thank you for letting me sit down and speak with her and kind of get more information to bring to you guys. So it, it's fresh. We know it's credible. We know that it's been thoroughly researched. But before we get into Hillview Manor itself, we need to get into the history of poor farms and poor houses because that's actually what this building and this property started out as in the late 1800s. But poor houses and poor farms themselves can be dated all the way back to early 17th century England, where really being poor was almost treated as being a criminal. You know, uh, no one wanted to be impoverished or they put, be put in these poor houses or poor at that time be poor farms because they were made to do agricultural work poor houses were more industrial work and at that time that really wasn't happening a whole lot so it was more likely to be put in a poor farm so in these poor farms they'd be doing backbreaking work like grinding down stones and bones whose bones i have no clue and i was kind of too afraid to, to look more into it to find out or if you were uh, female or younger, you'd probably be doing sewing, you know, sewing clothes to sell to help make money for this, this poor farm. And it was really given this huge negative connotation. Like I said, it, it's almost like you're treated as a criminal just for being poor or being impoverished. And that carried over into the United States as early as 1660 in Boston. Now, in Boston, it was very interesting in the city and outerlying municipalities, you could actually be exiled for being poor. They could pretty much say, hey, you ain't got no money. We don't want to see you around here anymore. How, how crazy would that be? That, that would just suck, honestly, because now you really have nowhere to go. You might just start traveling west to try and find something. Yeah, yeah it, it was ridiculous. Where, or your debt could be purchased by someone. And then you now had to work for them to work off that debt. So it was very similar to indentured servitude, which was a very common practice in England before the American colonies. A lot of people that immigrated over here came as indentured servants. So it was 
not an uncommon thing, but it was, again, you were kind of stuck in this rut of, Hey, when do I stop working? And when can I stop being poor now? Because I'm working off this debt with this person, or I'm stuck in a poor farm working to keep a roof and three square meals. And really they didn't even have that. And we'll get into that in a second, but it was a, how do I dig myself out of this poverty now? It, it just was not a good situation at all. It actually wasn't even until the 1830s and 1834, the Poor Law Amendment Act was passed in the United States that required that residents of poor houses and poor farms actually be clothed and fed. So hundreds of years later, they finally said, oh, hold on, maybe we should give these people clothes and food. Well, yeah, kind I know of- that you're breaking stones for us and everything, but hey, here's a little bit of food now and some clothing. Yeah, like what kind of nudist dystopia were these poor houses at this time? Like, was did no one have clothes? Or what happened if they were, you know, completely destroyed theirs because they're working all the time? Now you get like a potato sack and that's your clothing for the day. So it really alludes to just how unhygienic these places were. It also, this Poor Law Amendment Act also required that children would have to go to a school of some form, which prevented them from being reaching adulthood and just being right back in the poorhouse again. How they went to school or where they're schooled, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure it varied from poorhouse to poorhouse, whether they went to a nearby school or whether they had their own school within there and a teacher that would teach them or someone taught them. Things weren't really regulated then, so it, it probably was on a case-by-case basis. One now, rock plus two rock equals three rock. Yes, and you use the hammer to break the rock into more rock. And then you graduated first grade. Second grade was all about using a bigger hammer or a pickaxe, maybe. I don't know. But fast forward a few decades, and we actually come to Lawrence County in its fledgling years being donated 44 acres of land to create a, both a poorhouse and a poor farm in what is now known as Shenango Township in Newcastle. So at this time, people started coming in. They were doing that industrial work or working in the fields in agriculture, which, you know, obviously was trying to help get them, keep them out of poverty, but also keep them locked in poverty. Now, in 1867, when this place was built, it was built after the establishment of a Lawrence County Board for the Poor, more namely run by a Mr. Robert Reynolds, who helped the place financially until 1897, when the building itself suffered from a fire. Now, luckily, all 16 inmates that were there made it out unharmed. When I use the term inmate, though, I'm using the Webster's Dictionary you know, definition of it being a group of people occupying the same residence or dwelling. That's actually where prisons get the term inmate. So when we say it, we're not saying that they were in prison. They're not held here against their will. They were free to leave at any time. It's just that that definition and that connotation stuck with prison because it fits that description. Honestly, you may be able to leave at any time, but where would you go? Yeah, where would what would you do? So you kind of, in a sense, were stuck there because it was either, hey, this place has a roof and three square meals now, or I'm in a box in an alleyway, you know? So it really, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like you kind of were stuck there. But the place, you know, continued to operate up until 1925 as a poor house and poor farm. 
where it then became the Lawrence County Home for the Aged. Now, at this time, it ceased being a poor house and poor farm and became more of a nursing home slash halfway house for both elderly and younger people who had, you know, uh, there, I know there's one resident that suffered from alcohol abuse and other general, some mental illnesses. Now, I do want to take this moment to say that Hillview or the Lawrence County Home for the Age or this poor farm, at no point had it ever been a sanitarium or an insane asylum. They did not house the clinically insane. They did, however, have some people there that did suffer from various mental illnesses, such as dementia, you know, different forms of abuse, things like that. So it wasn't the same as being clinically insane. There are no lobotomies. There is no experimentation done to diagnose the clinically insane. But at this time, after it becomes a halfway house and nursing home, this is where we start getting some of our first residents that continue on being there even after death. Isn't that right? Yes, there are three notable residents that still stay here to this day. First is Eli Sari. He was the alcoholic that you mentioned earlier, and he kind of has a very sad story. When he was there, he was known as an alcoholic, and one day, one night, actually, he went out and got a little bit too hammered. He found his way We've back. We've all been not, there. We've all been there, honestly. Uh, he found his way back. I'm not entirely sure how, but he was left at the front doors of the manor. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, his friends found him out there, and they decided, hey, we're going to put him in the boiler room to let him kind of sleep off. What kind of thing is that? Hey, man, this guy's drunk. Oh, man, I don't want to get in trouble. Oh, let's stuff him in the boiler room. I was thinking, like, you know, you could put him in a bathroom or something. That way, if he has to throw up, it's yeah, right there. Sneak him into his room. <laughs> like, not like, but, hey, we're going we're gonna to put this poor man in the basement. I feel like it would be the equal amount of distance to the basement in the boiler room than it would be probably to his room. They might not have been thinking either. I mean, you just see this guy passed out drunk. You might want to, your first idea is possibly the boiler room. Unfortunately, he died there of alcoholism and exposure to like the toxic gases and everything. He is still said to be there though. And he is more likely to touch and grab a woman than he is a man. And he, that's what his ghost kind of does is just touch and grabs. Oh, so he's a bit feisty. Yeah, he likes to have fun in the afterlife. Secondly, there is Jeffrey. He is kind of a weird one. There were notes of an 11-year-old and 9-year-old who did live in the manor at the time. The 11-year-old was adopted out of the orphanage. The 9-year-old, his story kind of ends there. Nobody really knows what happened. All the records are gone. And the only way that they know his name's Jeffrey is because they got in an EVP asking, what is your name? And it stated Jeffrey. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So there's actual communication with it. Yes, there people were communicating with it. And he has an urban legend around him as well. If oh, you, oh yes, if you see Jeffrey, you're supposed, you're supposedly going to die. Well, that's not good. No, and I guess Carrie, when you're having an interview with her, she said that there are police reports of elderly patients saying that they saw a little boy leading them somewhere. Yeah. And they would die a couple of days later. 
Yeah, that was absolutely true. Uh, when questioned, they'd answer and say, a little boy told me to follow him. And not long after that whole event, they'd, they'd pass on. That's kind of terrifying, honestly. It, it's weird. It is weird because Jeffrey's like kind of the only person in this, this whole history that has a kill count. Yeah, it, it makes no sense, but that's kind of how ghosts are. They're kind of weird. Yeah, who are we to, to question the workings of the already past? And lastly, for this little part, there is the creeper. Like the Scooby-Doo creeper? No, not really, because I think the creeper in Scooby-Doo is green. Oh, okay. This is a shadowy figure kind of it, kind of entity, I guess. And it is yeah. seen to be crawling on the walls and ceiling. Oh, that's terrifying. Oh, yeah. He, I'm, I'd be terrified of this thing the entire time. I'd see that booking at me on the ceiling. I'd, I'd be running the other way as fast as I can. No, thank uh, you. When you were talking to some of the staff there and some of the tour guides, you said that they call him the creeper and that he's more known as a snitch there because of his hunched over appearance. Yeah. Uh, from what I talked about with one of the daytime tour guides, the only thing that they could really think that would fit this description for this entity is if he was a snitch because he'd be kind of hunched over close on all fours. He'd be trying to get in the places where people aren't going to catch him. So he can, you know, he can eavesdrop. So it was kind of the only thing that really fit. So that isn't verified. There's nothing behind there. It was just kind of, uh, it's kind of them trying to figure out where the heck this thing could have come from. It's still a very cool story. And I do hope that maybe later on they do find something about him even if it's just like a name. Yeah, that would be really cool. So that ends this kind of the poor farm era. What do you have to say about the nursing home era, Travis? So as it became the Lawrence County home for the aged, uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Snyder, both the Snyders were elected into a position of overseeing this home for the aged, this nursing home slash halfway house. Now, during their time there, I guess it started becoming apparent that there is a bit of neglect going on you know them not really helping people i'm sure the death of uh, mr eli really didn't help the image of the nursing home at this time and so in june of 1944 you know during the same time we were making the landing in normandy you know for world war ii they came under fire for allegations of neglect and incompetence and they were removed from their positions you know, in office of overseeing this place. Now, for a short while, they were allowed to stay there. And Mr. Snyder becoming ill at this time was kind of bedridden, but eventually were given an eviction notice saying they need to vacate the premises. Hey, I know that you're sick and dying, but get the heck out of here, man. Yeah, it's, hey, just, yeah, better get your stuff, pack it up, take your bed somewhere else. Now, at that time, I didn't really get who took over from then. All I know is more towards the 60s, it does get rebranded solely as a nursing home. So it does cease function as a halfway house for people and does completely commit to becoming a nursing home for elderly patients. It was taken over by Mr. Covert in the 60s. And during this time, there was many, many petitions by Mr. Covert to receive additional funding for this building because they were reaching capacity where they had an average of 115 elderly people in this time. And this wasn't really a big building 
at at that point so it they were kind of overpopulated uh it was a little bit later from then that mr covert came under fire saying that uh he was alleged to have been discriminating against admitting people of different creeds uh there's also some minor reports of abuse towards the residents and a lot of different things came up he eventually resigned saying that it was in protest of lack of funding but a lot of people believe that it was because of these allegations that he resigned. Now, at that time, about a year later, the county did approve actually building in a whole new basement, a completely separate basement from the original one, and then an entirely new north wing. So it did get the renovations it needed to kind of stymie the overpopulation and overcrowding of this building and was then at that point renamed by the county as Hillview Manor and continued to be a nursing home into the early 2000s. Now, during this time, we have some more people that were residents and denizens of this place who have since passed, but didn't quite want to leave just yet. Yes, there are a good couple of them. And we're going to start off with honestly, one of my personal favorites. His name is George. And he is believed to be in the boiler room. So that's kind of fun about him is that people have asked him, who is your favorite quarterback? And he would always say Terry Bradshaw from the old Steelers. So he liked the steel curtain. I guess so. And I really kind of hope that when they win the Super Bowl next time, someone goes in there and just screams, hey, George, Steelers won the Super Bowl this year. Got to give him that shout out like, hey, George, we got this. We got it. I, I kind of hope that something that's kind of funny about him is that if you mention the Browns to around that area, he is likely to either push or slap you in the back of the neck. <laughs> Man, he's he's definitely one that doesn't like the Browns. He doesn't. And it's kind of just I don't think he means any mean anything bad by it. He's just kind of having fun. Kind of like your grandfather would do that to you. That's fair. I mean, I'd, I'd be a little bit of a prankster if I was stuck there in the afterlife. I'd mess with people. Oh, yeah. Now, there is one supposedly malicious spirit there, and that is the gatekeeper. No one really knows anything about him. He's outside of the boiler room that George is at, and he's not really mean. He's more of just an intimidating presence that will order people to leave. Okay, so it's it's more just, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't think I should be here anymore. I want to get out of here. Yeah, he's the one that he's not going to hurt you from what I've heard. He's just going to try and scare you. Okay, well, that's good. So there's nothing like really malicious here at all. It doesn't seem like any of these any of these denizens here really have any kind of ill will. No, only really Jeffrey, like you said, has a kill count. And I don't think that he means it anything by it either yeah the nine-year-old's the one who's who's causing these issues now we do get a little bit sad here and we get to amanda she was 100 years old and blind she had she was wheelchair ridden and she'd go out to the second floor balcony where she would feed the birds she loved to do that she knew where it was unfortunately one day she either mistook where she was or she was pushed down some stairs Either way, she fell downstairs and unfortunately passed away. Ooh, that's that's not a good way to go. Yeah, and there are EVPs that state either fall or push where she was. So she isn't really given a clear story, but 
she is communicating with people. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe she's just trying to tell people how this happened. Hey, what happened to you? Well, I fell. Or maybe yeah. I was pushed. Maybe she doesn't know. She might, she might not. I mean, she was blind. So yeah, she doesn't really know either. Know. Yeah. Hard to tell. And lastly, we have Mary Virginia. She is in room 105 and she is another very light and kind ghost. People are said to leave dolls, dresses, and jewelry for her. And something that's kind of cool is that she has a music box on her bed and some jewelry at the end of her bed as well. And if you interact with those, she is likely to kind of respond to you by EVPs or maybe like pushing you or touching you or something. So you're saying is you have to bribe her with jewelry and she'll she'll talk with you? Kind of, or just touch her stuff and she'll talk to you. Okay, I'm gonna touch. I'm gonna touch your jewelry. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> Pretty much, and these are only the cases that we could find with how much death was in this place. I mean, it's a nursing home. There's going to yeah. be a lot of yeah. A lot of the uh, residents are going to pass on. There really wasn't many real cases of people passing on due to negligent or you know malicious background to it. It it was just. The denizens here were elderly, and you know that that tends to happen. They just pass on. Yes, and there are a lot more spirits there that even we could find, and there are some people that we even know about when they were in life, right, Travis? Yes, absolutely. Uh, while I sat down with Carrie, the owner, uh, she got to tell me the story of Jimmy and Lester. So these two are apparently pranksters, and this kind of it appeals to me because I'm naturally a prankster. And these two would get into all kinds of hijinks. Uh, one most notably, especially during its time as a nursing home, a little bit back behind it was a golf course. Uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania has a bunch of golf courses and there's golf courses all littered around this Western Pennsylvania. So it's, it's nothing new. Everyone's kind of used to there being golf courses around. Well, when a golfer would slice their shot or, you know, just kind of swing wide and it would come close to the manor, Jimmy and Lester would actually pick up the golf balls and kind of put them in their pocket. When the golfer came by saying, Hey, did you see a ball near here? They'd say, no, I haven't seen any, but I'll sell you one for a dollar. So kind of like extorting the golfers for some money to get their ball back. Uh, there's also another story that I really thought was hilarious where uh, right down the road in Shenango township, what is now a big lots, there used to be a department store called Fisher's big wheel. Now, Fisher's Big Wheel was a large department store. You could buy pretty much anything there. And so they would go down to, you know, the Fishers and actually tried getting a TV saying, hey, put it on the Hillview account and was walking it back up the road. I guess they're eventually caught and, you know, you know, got in trouble for it. But uh, that's kind of the healthy like pranking that I, I find absolutely hysterical and absolutely endearing. So it seems like a lot of the residents that live there definitely had a very lighthearted side to them. Oh yeah. And honestly, Travis, I can see you and I doing that. If we were oh, in a definitely. nursing home. Uh, if I'm old enough to go to a nursing home, I, I feel bad for the people working there. Cause I'm going to have fun. Now, something that's kind of cool is we got two firsthand experiences from friends at the podcast of them going to, Hillview and investigating, doing their own little ghost hunts. Yeah, we do. And it's really interesting. I love the fact that we do have firsthand experiences to kind of shed some light on here and give a little more validity to these occurrences. And firstly, we're going to start with one of our close friends. She was 14 and 15. 
14 or 15 when she went there with her friends and family. And they actually got Jeffrey to start speaking with them through the connection of baseball, because supposedly Jeffrey really loves baseball. And they were just kind of talking to him through that. While they were doing that, though, our friend went outside kind of near the bingo hall and she started to feel her heart get uh, tightened and hurt a little bit. That's when she started repeating, my heart hurt, my chest is hurting, nobody's listening, my chest hurts, nobody's listening. For like 30 seconds, she was saying this. And they told the owner about it, kind of like, hey, this was a weird thing that happened. And she pulled out an obituary showing an elderly woman who died in that location while repeating, my heart hurts, nobody's listening to me, for about 30 seconds as well. So we actually possibly have a possession. Yes, or just somebody trying to get their story across that, hey, there might have been some malicious treatment here. Who knows? I mean, like I said, going back into the history here, there was some reports of neglect at some light allegations of abuse, nothing really became clear about them. So, I mean, it is very possible that someone was having a heart attack and was entirely neglected. Now, the other person we got this awesome interview from was actually in the same area of Jeffrey's room. I guess he has a little area that they can kind of play with him. And one of the tour guides was rolling a ball for them showing, hey, you know, he might play with this. Well, it stopped directly center in the room. And of course, the dude was kind of like, ah, it might just be a dip in the floor or something. There's a logical explanation for this. Well, 10 minutes later, the ball started moving towards one of his friends. And she said she felt what she called a child like touching her. Ooh, that would that would creep me out pretty bad. Oh, yeah, I. As soon as I start feeling like child hands on me, that's that's over. I'm getting just, out of there. Just, ah, tiny fingers. I'm, I'm gone. Something that's kind of cool is that on the third floor, it is said that you can hear what sounds like somebody dragging something. Huh. And there have, other, there have been also other reports from, Kate, from uh, groups saying that they could hear somebody running towards them, stopping directly in front of them, then continue running somewhere else down the hall. The second I heard something running down the hallway to me, I'd be in the opposite direction. I'd be out them doors like, nah, not dealing with this. Yeah, I would not be dealing with that. I heck with that. That's too scary. Yeah, nope. Mm, second something's booking at me, uh, I'm booking the opposite way. Like, well, let's see who's faster. Now, we'd like to take this time to say thank you again to the owners of Hillview Carry And the daytime tour staff. They were wonderful and really insightful with a lot of this information I was able to get to help bring you good quality content that we know has been vetted because we don't want to give any misinformation. We don't want to give any kind of false reporting in this at all. And they were absolutely instrumental in in helping us with this. Uh, We did want to also let you know, they do have many events in the summer. I know Hillcon, their big convention for a lot of the paranormal at this location is going to be held in August of this year. They also have many different uh, psychic events throughout the summer. If you want to learn more about these, go ahead and send them an email at info at hauntedhillviewmanor.com and they'll definitely reach out. Also, if you're in the area, if you live in the Newcastle area or Lawrence County or one of the surrounding counties and you want to help out, you can actually volunteer to help clean and make sure all these events run smoothly. And it's that same email info at haunted Hillview Manor. So, 
definitely give them, you know, give them a look and check them out and maybe book a tour. It seems like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here that that would be really cool to experience. And if you guys have any information for us about like maybe one of you guys went there and saw something, email us at paranormalhistoryacademy at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear about your experiences. We may even put them in some of our social media posts just to shout out, hey, look, here's some more some more cool stuff that that's happened here and more things people have experienced. So we'd really appreciate it. And again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you all for following us. Any of you that like us on our social media, on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we can't thank you enough. And once again, this has been the Paranormal History Academy.